Drifters, this is Rest and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules to enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riftwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today we're here to talk to you about small parties. And what I mean by that is, especially now in this age of quarantine there is a lot more interest in dungeons and dragons which is fantastic but what is often difficult is getting people to play a game with you so we're going to be talking about the differences and when you have less people available to play D with you and how to do so so nathan how many people would you say is the absolute minimum to play Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. So, personally, I feel like the the smallest group I've ever run is um, me with two other people. It's a bit hard, but it's still possible. I, I feel like any less, any fewer players than that, than the two, is pushing it a bit because you can't really get any correct interactions and there really isn't too much you can do with only one player. I'm going to have to disagree with you. Is it harder? Yes. But what I really want to go with this at first is for the absolute minimum of what you require to play Dungeons and Dragons, you can get by with one person. You can play alone. You can play Dungeons and Dragons solo. And by the way, guys, this is this sounds very sad. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying. Hey, don't judge my my life, John. I have no friends, but I really, really wanted to play this game I found out about, D&D. So I sat down with my rule book in hand and sat down with a tear in my eye, since I have no friends, you see. And I started to play the game all on my lonesome. Fuck you. <laughs> Just take out the John and paste Remy, and that was my start. <laughs> Oh no. No, like in all seriousness. So, first things first, you really can play alone. And having done that is part of how I am the way I am. Although, me being why I am as I am led me to that point, but that's another story. Anyway. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Oh boy. I was trying to joke, but that actually got sad. (laughs) Um, Anyway. No, seriously, though, you can play alone. But what a lot of people, even if you assume that you can play alone, most people would presume that you must be a dungeon master yourself in order to do so. That also is not actually the case. A person who does not actually know all of the rules of Dungeons and Dragons can still play Dungeons and Dragons alone. There are actually multiple websites, companies, books that are printed for the sake of playing D&D alone. So there are, if you just Google solo D&D adventures, there are a number of products and services available for that purpose. And it's actually pretty neat because a lot of them play almost like those old, like choose your own adventure kind of books where it's like, if you go through the door, turn to page 57. If you go left further down the hallway, go to page 82. 
And it's kind of like that, but for D&D. And so you can play through these adventures, and because it is that kind of choose-your-own-adventure, and because of the fact that there are dice rolls involved, because it's D&D, then you can have all kinds of different results. You can have all, just a story told and played out by yourself. And that can actually be quite so, a good time. So, like, here's the thing. I, I Even though I may have had that joke just now... Um, when I was just starting out playing D&D, &D, uh, after I finished playing my first few sessions, there was this uh, bit of a lapse where I didn't really have anyone to play with, and that was before I started this podcast. Up. So during that entire period, I actually spent most of my time just world building and stuff, but there were genuine moments where I was just looking at the kinds of D&D &D that I could play at that period, which was basically just trying to uh, get my fix through Discord chats. Which um, really, really doesn't. It's not the same. So, if if I were to put it on like a tier list, I would say that at the very top is in person D and D. Second would be uh, digital playable. Last would be just any text based format. Typically, just gets really hard to really get interactive for those at times. But I can definitely see why someone would want to. Um, try out a solo experience because there are certainly situations in which depending on your current life situation that you can't have you don't have the time to um schedule around a bunch of other people um schedules and maybe you just sleep at an odd time of the night and so on and so forth so i can definitely see why someone would choose to solo play dnd yeah and also, on the solo side of things. So there are these adventures available for players who, even without a DM, to allow you to play D&D. But you have much, much more options available if you are a dungeon master. And to be honest, if there is anybody listening to this who is who plays D&D or just is interested in D&D and stumbled across us, it is absolutely a fantastic way to start getting into D&D &D alone by just reading through the books and then just to deepen your understanding of how it works to just play against yourself. So if you as a DM just want to poke, okay, I think that one day I would, you know, if I do get you know, people to play with me, then I want to know if you have, you know, just two people like with a fighter and a rogue versus five goblins, how would that go? And while, yes, that's a lot easier if you do have other people to have more character moments in terms of actually understanding the mechanics and the balance of Dungeons and Dragons, then doing a solo game on your own is actually really good for dungeon masters, new and old, to just get a feel for the game balance. Because there are a ton of different factors that do influence how combat balance and such and party balance works, as we've talked about in a lot in previous episodes. But as a DM, if you do just build the basic characters and then you can just roll both sides of the fight and then you can play out that fight yourself to see what happens, to see how it goes. And by doing that, it is a great way for dungeon masters to learn what works and what does not and to learn that the CR mechanic that a lot of the encounter builders are based on is 
dumb, as I have also ranted about a lot in the past. And to get a better understanding of how much does range matter? How much does effects matter? Like if you can incapacitate or stun or whatever other conditions that spells or monsters are able to inflict. To understand how the thousands of rules and powers and things in D&D interact with each other, experience is the best way to understand that. And for a dungeon master to just poke at shit and see what happens is a really good use of time. And now, especially with a lot of us working from home and such, we have that time. So Dungeon Masters, even if you are actually playing with the group anyway, I really think more Dungeon Masters should just try shit on their own to get to poke at things. And with that experience, you can then use that knowledge for your own world building sake, because you then know, okay, so if I have this thing over here and that thing over there, then you can kind of string along and just let all the plot hooks get set up to know then, okay, then I know that the players are likely to win this fight and then be on if, you know, an average rolls are assumed that they would be relatively hurt. So maybe there's a good chance then for me to introduce this NPC, like who's, you know, a healer for hire or some such, or uh, introduce someone who might be a recurring evil character who's trying to take advantage of them while they're down. There are a lot more options available when you have that kind of nuanced understanding of, okay, I presume that this will be the expected result of this so i can set up that and that understanding of the balance of so very many things is really really hard and doing that practice on your own is a arguably the best way to get that practice unless you're able to play with a group consistently for years and just get that practice the long way i mean it's really hard honestly yeah, so here's here's my perspective on things. When it really comes down to it, solo is definitely a way that you can you use, uh, use your D and D, your your D and D rule set, and try out different scenarios that maybe you don't really want to use on your players quite yet, and allow you to play out things beforehand. Though. Before you make any assumptions about what your players do end up doing, always um, remember that players are unpredictable and you are not to trust whatever results that you may get because it might not exactly work that way for your players. Absolutely. You are 100% correct that players will fuck up any kinds of plans that a DM makes. But just in terms of the understanding of what op- what kind of options may be available, then that is more the angle I'm going for. Uh, also, I will say that playing uh, solo as a DM is a fantastic chance to try out homebrewing things. So if you want to know, you know, how would adding, you know, extra attack to some creature that does not naturally have it change the balance by changing that action economy to it. So if you then have a creature with extra attack and you have two of those attack a party, then all of a sudden, you know, you would have four attacks when there used to be two. And that 
drastically changes the balance. So if you were to throw something like that against, you know, and just use a, any humanoid character like a uh, gladiator or some such or a champion, just to have just a kind of simple character prepared to test that against is a fantastic opportunity for dungeon masters to learn homebrewing balance as well as just the general combat balance because again learning the rules honestly is less important than understanding just what the actual reality of the game are what are the players actually going to do you can have all kinds of plans and cool monsters set up but your players will ruin that and not to mention, there's always the chance of bad roles creating a bad situation. So getting the understanding of just the options available, even when your plans get ruined, it is just nice to create that extra arrow in your quiver. Okay, so, so Remy, we've been talking oh. about um, solo playing. So since this is about smaller parties, how do you think... Um, you can make an experience with one or two players, for example, more right, so, fun and interesting. So let's just go ahead and build up. So we started with solo. So now let's go the D&D duet, I've heard it referred to as, where you just have a DM and a single player character. So there are quite a number of things to keep in mind. First things first. Unless you massively overpower the character for the environment that they're currently in, then generally speaking, that character, by being alone, will be at a massive disadvantage than someone who is part of a full party. Because in Dungeons & Dragons, the game itself is designed, the math itself, I should say, is designed around a party of characters. So if you have a single player character, then if they run into a dragon, they're fucked. Again, unless you have a single like level 20 character and then it's just them against the world, if you start at level 1 especially and then you just have a single level 1 character on their own, it is going to be limiting on the dungeon master's part in terms of what they might realistically want to throw at said character. But on the other hand, it does open up a lot of other avenues of play, other styles of play. If you do only have that single PC, then yes, they are disadvantaged in combat. But they are not disadvantaged when it comes to social interactions, unless they purposefully choose to play a not super talky character, in which case, yeah, they're in trouble there too. But if you have, let's just say, like a single bard or warlock or sorcerer, there's any of the, you know, charismatic characters, or if you had, you know, a, uh, a rogue who is, you know, uh, charisma trained as well, then any of those styles of characters could actually do pretty well on their own. Like, actually, let's take Rogue for a specific example. If you've got a Rogue, their whole shtick is being the sneaky guy. You could play an entire campaign of heist-style campaign, where you can have it be 
there's just the rogue and then it is just the rogue and the dm just kind of plotting out these heists for the rogue to get into or assassinations or any of the various you know stereotypical rogue things but what is also good about that is that a rogue as a, a class that gets expertise in skills can also put that towards you know persuasion deception the talky type skills so you could very easily have that same rogue end up in all of these kinds of diplomatic encounters as well so rogue is honestly one of the classes i would say is best suited to like a duet style of play because they can do pretty well in combat on their own they could potentially slip away if things go bad especially if they you know have any kind of magic item that might be a Available to support them, then they could also do okay in the talky bits. They could also do okay in the sneaky bits. So a rogue campaign would easily be a fun thing to do for just a DM and a single player. But obviously, I have my bias that that was the one best suited, but you could also still do such a thing really easily if you were, say, I mean, any kind of class. Just uh, Nathan, just pick a class for me so I'm not using my own biases. A barbarian. Barbarian. Barbarians are tanky as shit, especially if you do kind of build them in that direction, as we talked about in our Barbarians episode and our tanks episode as well, for that matter. But let's say even if your barbarian's defense is crap and you just have the barbarian barbarian who's really, really good at killing things, then in the open wild, then that character may have a problematic time. But maybe you could just do a different style of game that is better suited to them. So you could do something like a fighting pit situation where you just are like on this underground tournament where your barbarian is trying to prove that they are strongest there is. And then you can just have this whole underground fight ring be a thing and you just have the travel be a less important part of the campaign and you just have them go like through caravans to travel so that there is that safety in numbers or you could just have an entire campaign but this is true for any class just all take place in a single city because any large city is going to have things available for D&D characters of all levels so if you want to not have travel be relevant then it isn't. You could just play the entire campaign in a single metropolis. Like, there are a lot of people who just do never leave the city that they're born in. And that's especially easy if you do live in any large city like New York or L.A. or any of those large places. So if you have a large city in D&D, that is honestly really easy to do. Or if you also have this barbarian and don't want to use the fight ring kind of idea, then maybe you just can have them be a bounty hunter or some such because a barbarian is suited to putting people down very quickly. So then if you have this barbarian whose whole shtick is that they are tracking down a single person, they're good at that. Okay, so we've been talking about um, using barbarians and rogues and such, but what about something a bit more squishy, like a, I don't know, a wizard or wild magic sorcerer? Oh, God, wild magic sorcerer. I'm just going to start for the wild magic sorcerer first, just because I think I've made my biases against those rather clear in the past. I 
dislike the wild magic sorcerer, which is ironic because I dislike the amount of chaos that they bring to a game, but that's mostly just because of the actual chaotic list that is the published one. Uh, for my own game, I actually have my own D10,000 list for chaos magic like that. Remember, but, everyone, anyway. you are not Remy. <laughs> do not do that. Uh, no, uh, to be fair, I am actually not the one who created that list. It is a list that I use. The, what was it? The Net Librem of Random Magical Effects version 2.0. <laughs> And that's just a free PDF that I just found online and have used for I don't even know how many years. But it is a lot of fun just the fucking... The problem that I have with the regular list is that there's a lot of boring things and then there's a lot of, oh god, why dangerous things. What I like about that list is that it has weird things and random things that are neither good nor bad, although it also does have those. But there's not enough chaos on the official chaos list for my taste. But anyway, that's total tangent. My apologies. Um, sorcerers. Okay. So if you have a squishier character alone, so someone like a sorcerer or a wizard, there are a number of options available for the sorcerer. One angle that a lot of people don't think about as much is that they do have a subclass option, the divine soul sorcerer, which grants them access to cleric spells as well as the regular sorcerer damage spells. So that type of sorcerer could then have healing magic accessible to them. And any healing character can do very, very well in a solo campaign because any healer and especially a squishy healer is someone who could very easily just make themselves available for hire. And then you can have that, again, kind of diplomatic type situation of maybe you're this, you know, sorcerer with the divine soul subclass who's, you know, hobnobbing with the wealthy in the city that you're in. And then there's competition over your services. And maybe there's, you know, an assassination attempt on someone that you have healed in the past that they're trying to pin on you. There's a lot of drama that can be done with a healer type character but let me now backtrack a bit to non-healers to actually talk about the regular magic users magic in general even in a high magic world is an amazing resource and anyone who is able to cast any amount of magic is absolutely a resource to the people that they're able to sell their services to whether that is out adventuring or not so again, you could very easily have a sorcerer or wizard type character who either A, is just a magic user for hire. And again, you could go the you know bounty hunter route if you wanted, and you could just have you know charm person, turn yourself in, or hold person once you're at that point to just free someone in place for you know a guard to sh go up and shackle them. There are an infinite number of utility spells that are available to wizards. You can just have your wizard get hired by dock workers to use Tensor's floating disc to help, you know, carry something. Uh, and then you can find out that, oh, no, it turns out that thing is contraband material. And then, you know, you need to either talk your way out of the situation or you need to escape the guards. So you can just like misty step and then dash away. Just because you are playing a solo character, even a squishy one, does not mean that you can't 
do a lot of different things and different styles of the campaign. You can have it be combat heavy. You can have it be diplomacy heavy. There are a lot of things that you can still do, even if it is just the DM and the single player. So now let's scale up that next one up. If you've got a DM and two people. So Nathan, as this is something that you have actually had to deal with with us before, tell me about what that experience was like for you. So the way I have handled two player, um, two player characters and in a D&D situation is that basically always allow that to be a bit more uh, space for the characters to interact with each other. Because when it really comes down to it, at this stage, your focus will not be on will not be focused towards like uh, combat and such because it's a bit more difficult to do so, uh, especially with two characters. So like I have done uh, scenarios with two characters. The one I did was at like a troll at the bridge. Um, it's one of those situations where Remy is like, Nathan, balancing. <laughs> and I'm like, mm. but what I've done uh, with most of the situations with two players is I typically try to get like a bunch of NPC characters to join in occasionally uh, to help out so that they can fight more powerful enemies. And since there are only two characters, it really, really allows for the two characters to really interact with each other and create uh, much deeper personalities as seen with the um, developments in the episodes that Gorif and Morris were together. Thank you, Nathan. You brought up exactly some of the points that I want to address in more detail. First off, D&D in general is heavily focused on combat. And there is a very commonly used saying, if it has stats, we can kill it. But in the event of Honestly, actually, no, let me rephrase this. I was going to say just in the event of low party, but that's not true. All D&D players in general are pretty terrible at understanding when you should run from a fight. Because in D&D, sometimes the roles don't go well. Sometimes you just stumble into something that your characters are not ready for. And this can be true if you're playing solo or if you're playing with a full party. But nonetheless... If you get into a bad situation, player characters very much need to understand that running should be an option and it should be something that players honestly do consider more often than they do. Because honestly, if you have a situation of the players stumble across you know, some, you know, powerful bandit leader or some such, and they get their asses kicked, then it, maybe the guy is like so arrogant that he just robs them blind and then lets them run away. Then that is the kind of thing that would stick with players forever. They would absolutely just wait for time to pass and their characters to gain in strength and recoup the losses that that bastard took from them and then they would track this guy down and like it would create a nemesis storyline that has a lot that a dm could play with so understanding when to run or from the dm perspective to not make every fight to the death especially when you are fighting sentient creatures to make that choice of this is not worth dying for and to have there be non-fatal resolutions that's 
a surprisingly rare thing to see just throughout D&D. And having the lower population of you know players available is a fantastic excuse, in all honesty, for DMs to think about that fact more. Another option that is available in situations where you do not have a lot of people in the party is to add more people to the party. So even if it's in a situation where it's just the DM and two people, or just even the DM and one, like we said earlier, there is another option available. Well, actually, there's two more options available. So option number one is that it is possible for one player character to play two PCs. That is difficult, but it is certainly a thing that is possible. I would not recommend that for people who are newer to the game, because knowing all of the abilities of two characters and keeping, you know, the different you know voices you may decide to use or character moments separate between them is kind of tricky. But it is a thing that is possible. On the other hand, another option is what is sometimes called the DM PC or sidekicks. And sidekicks are something we actually covered in extreme detail uh, just last week. So if you listen to those episodes, we go over all the rules of simplified classes that DMs have access to to give a little more muscle to a party. And with a sidekick around, you could then have a barbarian character with a healer sidekick and then that healer would be able to keep the character alive much longer it gives them a consistent companion for them to you know have interactions with to bounce you know dialogue off of and then to have that kind of more interactive story instead of just being the one player character against the world by having this you know healer sidekick or any of the other sidekick classes available it opens up a lot more options and this is a fantastic thing to have especially if you are a small party of just one person two people three people i mean a sidekick is helpful at any time because having that extra action economy on your side is hugely advantageous mechanically but also from the story perspective to have that extra person with thoughts and opinions to bounce ideas off of is also massively advantageous so using sidekicks in your game is a very very good idea especially when you do have less people available so then we get up to three three is actually the so-called standard party size three to five is a normal DD party. so once you do get up to that point congratulations you have formed a normal sized DD party so in conclusion while it is absolutely possible and in my biased opinion recommended for dms to actually play more DD solo the main point for this episode is to just get you to all understand that even if you've only got a couple people and even if you are on your own dungeons and dragons can be a fun game to play with any amount of people 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Refs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. Two stars low as a dollar and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind the scenes content, early access episodes, access to Patreon Discord where we will chat with cast and even a shout out on the show. Find us on social media on Twitter at Podcast, on Facebook as Riffwake and on Reddit on the subreddit r slash Podcast. And now send us an email, refsandrules at gmail.com. That's riffs and rules at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.